Change is an easier pill to swallow when it's presented as a simple refinement of the way we've been doing things rather than something radically completely new or different. This is profoundly experienced by us in the modern Messianic movement. Though our expression of worship is how Yeshua did 2,000 years ago, it's new, it's radical, it's innovative, it's a paradigm shift. It's, it's, it's completely outside the mainstream Christianity. So for us in the Messianic realm to stand up and say, well, hey, all you Christians in your churches, this all your stuff is pagan, Christmas, Easter, it's pagan, that doesn't result in change. It results in rejection. We must learn to present this restoration of Acts 3 as a refinement. Listen, we're serving the same Messiah. We're serving the same God. We're serving the same Holy Spirit. We need to focus on what we're doing together, then refine our differences that we can truly become one that Yeshua died for to make Jew and Gentile one in Messiah, that the true one new man can come about. Unfortunately, for too long, we've been battling, ah, you do your pagan stuff, and they're saying to us, oh, you're doing your Judaistic, you're Judaizing, you're under the law, when in reality, there's there's more that binds us together than what separates us. So if we present this as, listen, let's refine what we're doing and come together as one, it's a much more palatable pill to swallow. And we've been talking about why people resist change within a congregation, but when change does come, I want to talk about five categories that you see within the congregation or within your work or whatever you're doing, there's five things that begin to happen, five areas. The first are the innovators. They're the originators of something new. They're open to change and they're open to new ideas. This isn't always the acknowledged leader. This doesn't always come from the the psalmist or the, the congregation leader, the shepherd. It doesn't always come from the rabbi or the pastor. But this is someone who's, who's caught the wave, who understands where God is going, and they're the innovator. They're the ones that's excited. Hey, look what God is doing, and, and we should move into this, this category. The innovators are followed by the early adopters. They are those who know the good idea when they see it. They can smell it. They can see it. They can understand, hey, the wave's coming, and we got to paddle our boards over there and catch this. And so the innovators and the early adopters, there's synergy between them. The innovator, he, they're the first ones to see it, but the early adopters clearly see the vision, and they're ready to go. Then you've got the middle adapters. They're the majority. They'll respond to the opinion of others. When the leader and the circle of leaders are in one accord, the majority will follow the flow. Next comes the late adapters. They're the last group to endorse an idea. They often speak against these changes, and they may never verbally acknowledge or accept the change, but they'll slowly come around. And, and by this, let me, let me share an example. Hey, you know, since Jerusalem was restored back into the kingdom in 1967, th- this physical restoration was followed by a great charismatic Holy Spirit uh, Pentecostal outpouring in the greater body. And we saw great revival, the hippie freak movement, and uh, and the resurgence of the modern messianic movement by this outpouring of God's spirit, of the Holy Spirit. And so with this charismatic move, we saw this shift in the kingdom of God. We saw a shift away from the hymnals that everybody used. And we saw innovative things happening like overhead slide projectors. Then eventually now we have PowerPoint projectors. We've seen in the messianic realm, the Jewish realm, the, the, the release of Siddur's and us as well going to this new spirit-fueled, spirit-driven move of God to flow with the Spirit of God. But the evangelicals, listen, they never bought into this 55 years ago, 53 years ago. 
the last 10 years or so, and I'm not going to mention denominations. I don't want to do that. But you see these evangelical places have two services, and they'll say first service is uh, free worship. And what do they mean by that? What, what, what they're implying is they're the late adapters. They've, they've got a first service that it's more charismatic music. They actually will have congregants that <gasps> raise their hands and worship. They may not sit in the pew. They, they may actually may get up and move into the aisle. Maybe there's a little leg movement, you know. This is 50 years after this outpouring. The late adapters, are, but not both services, just the first service. The second service still retains the old hymnals, the way we've done it for the last 100 years, and uh, the way our fathers did it, that's the way we're going to do it. They're the late adapters. And the last category is the laggards. They are always against change. Whenever something uh, comes up in the in the pipe and it's like, oh, well, we're going to shift this or change this, you've always got a hardcore small, it's a minority, but they will resist any change at any cost. Their commitment is to the status quo in the past, never to the future. They will even try to cause a spirit of divisiveness, to cause division within a congregation. They're the ones that cause congregational splits. It's a diversion, an attempt to thwart the change. We're, we're, we're not going to revamp the sanctuary and put modern chairs in there. We want those old pews. It was good enough for our grandfathers. It's good enough for us. And they'll actually cause congregational splits over these things buried in the minutia. They're the laggards. Achieving success also requires the correct attitude. You know, in Numbers 13, verses 30 through 31, this is the story of the 12 spies. Ten spies said, we can't take the land. Two spies said, we should take it immediately. And and this is interesting because uh, when it was proposed to God that they're going to send in these 12 spies to reconnoiter the land, the Lord says, send them for yourselves. Because the Lord already promised us the promised land. So this is a whole other vexing story. If we've been promised the land, why do we need to reconnoiter it? We're at the borders. We trust in God. Let's go take it. But they come back with this negative report, and the people are just distraught over this. Why did you bring us out here to die? Our children will die in the desert. But in Numbers 13, starting in verse 30, Kalev silenced the people around Moshe and said, We ought to go up immediately and take possession of it, for there's no question that we can conquer it. But the men who had gone with him, the other 10, said, We can't attack those people because they are stronger than we. So why is there such a vast difference in the reports of the spies? As Scripture states, their reports are different. They're as far apart as the east is from the west. The difference is attitude. Attitude makes all the difference. Attitude development is critical for success, whether it's job-related, home, spouse, marriage, congregation. Attitude is everything. The first step to success in what we're doing here as a congregation is attitude. We see this play out in the words of uh, Yehoshua, Joshua, and Kalev. And by the way, this is interesting. Uh, they were Jew and Gentile. Yehoshua was Jewish. Kalev was Gentile. And so we see these two coming together, releasing this power and an attitude that the other 10 spies didn't have. And so those with attitude, we see this. Number one, our attitude determines our approach to life. What the Kalev say, we should go up immediately take possession of it. There is no question that we can conquer it. It's obvious Kalev, Caleb, he had a weaning attitude. His approach was one of trust and faith. He knew who he served. He knew that they were promised the promised land. And he said, we should do this immediately. Number two, our attitude determines our relationship with other people. He had the ability, Kalev, to silence the people around Moshe. 
and said, Kalev is close to Moshe and has the ability to silence them. He had favor with the government, with the leaders. He had the ability to make them listen, or at least make them listen temporarily. And so he silences them to give the report. We should take it immediately. Number three, our attitude is often the only difference between success and failure. I've often shared this statistic. I've done it on these previously in our Kadima talks. 90% of the people will stop within within 10% of the goal. Attitude drives you the last 10% to get to the top, to climb that mountain, to find success. Our attitude is often the only difference between success and failure. But when the men who had gone with him said, we can't attack these people because they are stronger than we, those 10 spies were speaking defeat. The battle is won in the heart. It's not won on the field of battle. Proverbs 23, verse 7 says, For as a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. If you think you're a failure, you'll be a failure. If you think you're going to be successful, you'll be successful. It's all about attitude. Number four, our attitude at the beginning of a task will affect its outcome more than anything else. He said we should go up immediately and take possession of it. There's no question we can conquer it. Theodore Roosevelt once said, Believe you can, and you're halfway there. If you go into any situation you've got, any struggle, any difficulty, and believe you will succeed, you will. Our attitude can turn problems into blessings. He says there's no question that we can conquer it. What happened to Yehoshua and Kalev? That entire generation perished in the desert. These two, they're the only two that entered the promised land. Their attitude turned a problem into a blessing for them. Number six, our attitude is not automatically good just because we belong to God. But the men who had gone with them said, we can't attack those people because they're stronger than we. They're also of Israel. They were also from the 12 tribes. Yehoshua and Kalev, they had great persistence. They were the only two who could enter the promised land. Those 10 who made those, those negative reports, they perished in the desert. In the face of adversity, Kalev and Yehoshua modeled the correct response and attitude. So they relied on God. They reinforced uh, the strong points and revealed the weak points that these reports aren't good. We should go up immediately. They reassured the people, and they refused to quit. Persistence is the ultimate gauge of our leadership, abilities, dedication, loyalty, and attitude. The secret is to outlast our critics. You know, I, I, I saw a photograph the other day that's very interesting. A crow will attack an eagle. Can you believe that? An eagle is, is seven or eight times the size of a crow. But the crow, knowing that it's not as strong as the eagle and can't fly as high or as fast, will come up behind the crow and pick at the feathers on the back of its head. But the eagle doesn't turn around and start attacking the crow. What he does is just soars higher out of the height and the ability of the crow. The ultimate gauge of our leadership is to outlast our critics. Yehoshua and Kalev teach us this lesson by staying committed to the calling and the goal And achieving success requires great passion as well. Colossians 3, verse 23 through 24 says, Whatever work you do, put yourself into it, as those who are serving not merely other people, but the Lord. Remember that as your reward, you will receive the inheritance from the Lord. You are slaving for the Lord, for the Messiah. Listen, corporations, experts, governments, men, women, have spent an innumerable amount of time, copious amounts of energy, 
and money attempting to figure out what makes people successful. There's not a common core pattern. They're from all different leadership styles and backgrounds, cultural, socioeconomic. You're not a basis of your surroundings. Human nature tends to look at credentials, intelligence, education, even looks to solve the success riddle. But the reality is more than anything else, it's our passion. Passion is what makes the difference. I want to look at four truths about passion and what it can do. Passion is the first step to achievement and success. Psalms 20 verse 4 says, May he grant you your heart's desire and bring all your plans to success. Psalms 37 verses 3 through 6 says, Trust in Adonai and do good. Settle in the land and feed on faithfulness. Then you will delight yourself in Adonai, and he will give you your heart's desire. You see the pattern? Trust in the Lord, do good, settle in the land, and feed on faithfulness. Then you will delight yourself in Adonai. Then he will give you your heart's desire. Commit your ways to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. Verse 5. Verse 6. He will make your vindication shine forth like light, the justice of your cause, like the noonday sun. Your desire determines your destiny. The stronger your fire, the stronger your passion, the greater the desire, the greater the potential you'll have. Passion increases your willpower. There's no substitute for passion. It is the fuel for the will. If you want anything badly enough, you'll find the willpower to achieve it. And I've experienced this numerous years. I've had probably 25 people in the last 20 years come to me and say, hey, Rabbi, listen, I, I, I want you to mentor me. And uh, I want you to walk me through this process to become a rabbi. But they really don't want to do what's necessary to get to this place. They don't have the passion. What they would want to do is sit in the seat of Elijah and dispense wisdom and knowledge and pray. Listen, they don't want to spend it. When I went through the IMCS yeshiva, no one guided me by the hand. No one took me and said, let me walk you through this process. I had an intense passion and a desire. I had a road to Damascus encounter. I know Adonai called me to do this, and I did whatever was necessary and required to achieve the goals, to achieve success in what God has called me to do. So I actively, there's initiative on my part to do this, and you don't have initiative without the passion. It's the fuel for the will. If you want anything badly enough, you'll find the willpower to achieve it. I can't tell you how many times people come to me and I say, well, okay, you've got to come to the conferences, you've got to go to the yeshivas. They look at me right now, oh, I can't do that. Okay, then you're not going to be a rabbi. They don't have the passion or the willpower to get it done. Where there's a will, there's a way, and you'll make the time and the means to get there. Proverbs 13, verse 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Isaiah 26, verse 3 says, a person whose desire rests on you, you preserve in perfect peace because he trusts in you. Number three, passion will change you. If you follow your passion instead of others' perceptions or what they think you should be doing, you can't help but become a dedicated, productive person. I can't tell you how many times in the last 20 years people have come to me, Rabbi, you should do this, you should do that. And my reply is, well, when the Lord tells me that, I'll do it. But in the meantime, I'm going to, with great passion, pursue what the Lord is guiding me to do. In the end, your passion will have more influence than your personality or ability. 1 Thessalonians 6, verses 11 through 14. Therefore, encourage each other and build each other up, just as you are doing. 
We ask you, brothers, to respect those who are working hard among you, those who are guiding you in the Lord and confronting you in order to help you change. See how this ties into what we talked about earlier? Treat them with the highest regard and love because of the work they are doing. Live at peace among yourselves. But we urge you, brothers, to confront those who are lazy, your aim being to help them to change, to encourage the timid, to assist the weak, and be patient with everyone. You can only do this through passion, through love. Number four, passion makes the impossible possible. Humans are made as such that whenever anything fires their soul, impossibilities vanish. I want to share a short story with you. We were involved with an organization called Jezreel that was a warehouse, still a warehouse uh, in New York. We had a second one here that I was on the board of uh, in, here in Virginia, and we shipped containers around the world. We had donated clothing, medical supplies. We sent stuff to Africa. Our first container ever went to Israel. And so we got involved with this. We come to the board, and I said, we're going to ship a container to Israel. We're going to ship clothes, medical supplies. And this is connected with the MJAA and the Joseph Project, okay? So as soon as we came together, I had four or five people say, that's impossible. You can't do that. I said, what do you mean we can't do that? They said, we'll open the checkbook. (laughs) This is a long time ago in the congregation. In our checkbook... We had $2.35 in the checkbook. Two do- you hear me? To, to prepare this container, to get it shipped, to get it overseas, to prepare for the shipping, and it cost $20,000. And so every time they kept saying, you can't do this, that passion was a fire in my soul. And that actually emboldened me to say, we can't do it. It's beyond us, but God can a fire in the heart lifts everything in your life. A person with great passion and few skills will always outperform a person with great skills and no passion. Can I tell you that four months later, we shipped that container and every cent was paid for by the congregation. With God, all things are possible. In Mark 9, verse 23, Yeshua said to him, what do you mean if you can? Everything is possible to someone who has trust. Mishpachah, we end this, I just want to encourage you, despite the doom and the gloom around us, that if you have the right passion, if you understand the goals and metrics of success, if you believe in your heart, if you believe in yourself, if you trust in Adonai with all your being, you will succeed in whatever desire he places in your heart for the kingdom of God. You can do all things through him who has emboldened you, who has empowered Powered you, and you will achieve, and you will be a world changer for the kingdom of God. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Shalom.